Excel Pro. There was some research done where they took college grads and they presented them with job descriptions. The job descriptions were identical, save for one thing. One of them said accountant. One of them said internal auditor. And just the negativity toward the one that said internal auditor was significant, but it was the same job. It was just the idea that the student knew what they were getting with an accounting job. They didn't know what they were getting with an internal audit job. Welcome to Excel Pro Audit, where we provide expert interviews and coaching to accelerate your professional development. I'm Elisa Salerio. Today, we're going to talk about the talent pipeline in internal audit. Our guest is Christopher Calvin. Christopher is a professor of accounting at the University of Dayton. We talk about internal audit and higher education, the background and skills necessary to excel in internal audit, DEI initiatives, and so much more. Excel Pro's expert interviews and coaching accelerate your professional development. Our mission is to improve your day-to-day job performance and make your career goals achievable. For a transcript of this episode and to learn more about the Excel Pro audit community, visit joinexcelpro.com. That's J-O-I-N-A-C-C-E-L-P-R-O.com. And now for my conversation with Christopher Calvin. Hi, Christopher. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me. I want to start out with the topic that you've researched and written about, which is how to build the talent pipeline in internal audit. Could you talk us through what some of the challenges are to finding and retaining talent in audits? Well, it's actually a pretty broad challenge, I would say, especially in the internal audit field, because there's no one source of the challenge. You kind of have two main players, arguably the education system, higher ed, You've got professionals, the recruiting jobs and overseeing all of that. You've got the IIA, the Institute of Internal Auditors, who has their hand in everything. And in the current state of things, just based on informal interviews that I've had, as well as some formal conversations behind the scenes, what it seems is going on is one, you've got an aging profession. You can see this in some of the survey data that the IAA has put out recently compared to some 2015 age data that they had on the profession. Compared to 2021, the upper end of the spectrum is increasing. People aren't aging out as they should. You also see the lower end of the spectrum is decreasing. So younger people aren't coming in to replace the older people aging out. Part of that is a lack of student interest. Part of that is a lack of willingness to recruit students straight out of college and instead to focus on experienced hires. I would say those two pieces are the core problems that we're currently facing with the talent pipeline. So given what you just told us about the aging of the profession, I want to talk a little bit about how audit is taught in higher education. What are some of the ways an internal audit-focused education is distinguished from the curriculum, and how might that in turn help get younger folks into the pipeline? Okay, so this is a great question because the short answer is it's not distinguished in most schools, and that's part of the problem. When I say that younger people aren't interested, in many cases, the lack of interest is directly tied to simply a lack of knowledge. They don't even know that the profession exists or they have a misconception about what that profession actually does. And so most big university accounting programs are going to have 
external audit. That's kind of the bread and butter of the programs. It's where most of the job recruiting goes out to. Internal audit is a niche. And so within some of these programs, you might see a lesson dedicated to internal audit. You might see a blurb, five minutes dedicated to internal audit. You might see nothing dedicated to internal audit. And that latter scenario is probably actually the most common, that internal audit is just kind of ignored because in audit classes, what you're really training students to do is go into public accounting, external audit, not internal audit. The AA has a program, the Internal Audit Education Program, where they try to partner with schools to have dedicated internal audit curriculum. And so for the schools that are part of this program, you will actually see an entire course devoted to internal audit at the entry level. Now, there's different tiers. And as you work your way to the higher tiers, it's not just one course anymore. It's multiple courses with a summer program, an internship, that sort of thing. So these education opportunities are out there, but they're not the norm. You touched on my next question, which was about the Internal Audit Education Partnership. Can you tell us a little bit more about domain-specific internal audit education? I want to make sure our listeners really understand this term. Okay. So when you think about internal audit and external audit, when we think about the skills necessary to do the job, the skills are very similar. The main difference between these two domains is external audit is there to protect shareholders. They're there to ensure accuracy of financial statements, that management is following U.S. GAAP, globally following whatever your international reporting standards are for investor protection purposes. Uh, Internal audit is very different. They don't really focus on financial statements. Internal auditors, by definition, are there to provide assurance and provide consulting for the company. But everything they do is within and everything they do is with the goal of adding value to the company, improving the company's operating efficiencies, improving the company's controls, improving their compliance, that sort of thing. And so while the skill set audit is the same, I like to call it the mindset, the what you're doing or how you're applying that skill is very different. And that difference is the thing that is not taught in most schools. It does get taught in these specialized internal audit education partnership programs because they follow a specific internal audit curriculum. So could you unpack that a little bit for me? You talked about the skill set being similar, but the mindset is different. When we're trying to bring people into the field, what are some things that they need to consider, not just in terms of their skills, but their intellectual strengths? Sure. The biggest thing that people coming into the field should consider is who is your audience? Who do you serve? And so for internal auditors, your service is to the company. Now, indirectly, you're going to benefit the shareholders. The better you make the company, the better off the shareholders are. But your service is to the company. And what value can you bring that company? So you've got to consider things like it's not, oh, did my financial statements agree with the standards and therefore I'm in conformance? It's, hey, do I have this operation set up in a way where it will most efficiently get the job done, where it will provide the most value to the company? Am I in compliance with the laws in X country and Y country and Z country, no matter how different they are? Do I have the appropriate controls in place to protect the assets of the company from theft or other types of loss? So the service is to the company. And so as far as doing that, yes, you need the audit skill set. But as you pointed out, we've got things on the horizon like AI. AI could be a tool. That's one way to look at it for internal auditors. Internal auditors could try to use AI to, say, take away some of the more 
simple tasks of the job, putting together report templates and things of that nature. AI could also be a threat to the company as well as a benefit, right? It's internal audit should be the department that's in there analyzing, saying, okay, my company has decided to use AI. Where's the value? Where can you maximize that value? What controls do we need in place to ensure that we're not going to cause problems as well? What other opportunities do you think should be out there for them? Maybe that's existing practitioners, expanding opportunities or internships. Maybe it's companies looking for recent graduates or students who are still in school and want real world experience before they graduate. Talk us through some of the opportunities that you think should be available that aren't. Yeah, and you actually nailed the two big ones. Some of these opportunities do exist, but they only exist in isolated places. So, for instance, the upper tier internal audit education partnership programs, the upper tiers of those actually do have internship arrangements that they offer to their students. I went to Louisiana State University. The program I went through, we actually have a draft. It's such a big internship situation where we put our names into the draft and we have to rank which companies we want. We do all these interviews, the companies rank us. And so then everybody gets placed to the company that was the best match. That's a great opportunity that led to my first job with Deloitte in internal audit. But those type of opportunities, they exist within say your big accounting firms. They exist with some of the extremely large internal audit departments that are out there. And so things like Coca-Cola Bottling Company has a large internal audit department. Kroger has a large internal audit department. But in the grand scheme of things, they represent a very minor portion of the opportunities that could be out there. Unless you're in one of these big programs or you're a feeder to one of these big internal audit department companies or big four accounting firms, you're probably not going to have an internship opportunity that's internal audit focused. On the other side, the recruitment is one of the big hangups right now in in staffing the internal audit profession, because what happens is is companies themselves that have their own in-house internal audit departments, they don't want to use the resources to basically train newbies, so to speak. They want to hire someone that knows what they're doing, someone that has industry experience in their particular industry or someone that has already proven themselves at a certain level of the job, say a senior auditor or manager. So they hire experience because their clients want the experience and don't want to go through the training. And so there's this disconnect of you need these people to get educated. You need fresh bodies in the field. But then there are very few companies that want to hire the fresh bodies. And that's just a problem that needs to be resolved. So I want to pivot to a related topic, and that's about DEI efforts and recruitment in building the talent pipeline. We know that companies around the globe are increasing their commitment to DEI. What is happening in terms of internal audit and how you're getting a greater diversity of talent into the field? So I think it's the same thing. The efforts are going up for sure. Everyone's acknowledging that this is an important topic. As far as internal audits specifically, I can't speak to any individual internal audit focused DEI efforts. In most schools, the internal audit curriculum, the ones that have it, it's basically housed under the accounting department. And so what you'll see is the accounting departments will be going through DEI initiatives internal audit is going to benefit from those programs initiatives. I can tell you that our university, we're trying to do some more outreach 
to get a more diverse student set within our school. I think these efforts are definitely positive, right? We're casting a wider net, a more diverse net, which means we'll bring in more viewpoints. For the internal profession specifically, as I said earlier, you serve the client and one of the goals is provide value. And so bringing in diversified skill sets, diversified ways of thinking definitely is a way to enhance that value to that to the companies. So it's something important. It's something that everybody's got their eyes on. I think as far as recruitment goes, it's starting at the education level and it's really just being piggybacked off of what the departments that internal audit sits in are doing. So when we're talking about adding value to the field, are there other experiences or backgrounds that can prepare someone for internal audit? You mentioned having a bachelor's or master's degree in accounting. Is that paramount to succeeding or are there other backgrounds that might be equally attractive within internal audit? So this is a hot debate that I'm having with colleagues right now. I would say core accounting is fundamental because it's still audit at the end of the day. And audit is kind of under the purview of accounting. But advanced accounting is probably not crucial to internal audit specifically because you're not doing the books, so to speak. You're not auditing the financial statements. You need to understand what you're looking at. You need to understand when you see a certain account name, this is what that account is. You need to understand how transactions flow through the company. So from that perspective, there is a level of accounting knowledge you need. But internal audit is just as much a social job, being able to talk to people, being able to elicit information from people, It's just as much an analytics job, being able to process big data and understand what that data is telling you and how to respond to it. It's as much an IT job and being able to understand company systems. And then it's as much a cutting edge issue job where you've got to have your ear to what's the hot topic out there, whether it's ESG or DEI or something else, and be able to understand how those things are going to affect the company. So it is not just an accounting thing. It is a management thing. It is a finance thing. It is a marketing thing. It's a business for sure. But I would not say it is necessarily accounting, even though that is where it's usually housed within universities. That's interesting because my next question is really about the perception of the field. And I want to talk a little bit about a paper you wrote titled Good Cop or Bad Cop. You wrote about shifting audits stereotype as a corporate watchdog to more of a trusted advisor Can you talk us through why that perception of a corporate watchdog is the case and how to shift it? Sure. And I'll acknowledge right up front. So this is not a sole authored piece. This is a working paper I have with two of my colleagues, Mark Ulrich and Vanessa Lopez Casper out of Germany. So so this is a joint effort between us. And basically about 20 years ago, (laughs) it really has been that long, the IA tried to shift the perception of internal audit. They said, look, it we're not just the auditor, we are the advisor as well. And I think this shift was really an attempt to separate external from internal audit, because I can tell you from my own experience, when I would go into my clients and I'd have to go talk to somebody, say, in the accounting department, they'd see me coming and go, oh, the auditor is coming. It wasn't the internal auditor is coming or the external. It was just, oh, the auditor is coming. And so then we'd have to say, no, no, we're the good auditors. We're here for you. We're not the public auditors. And so 
there was this perception of watchdog, but that's because that's where internal audit started. It started off as an assurance activity. The shift was made of let's not be about, hey, here's what you're doing wrong. It's, hey, here's where it could be done better. And here's how we're going to show you how to do it better. I think the problem here is that one, again, this idea of aging professions, you have a lot of older people working in the profession and they came up under an assurance regime, faculty that may be teaching it could be on the older side. And so there's a lot of people out there that still just view it as, hey, you're the watchdog. Now, that was early 2000s. Right at that time, we had big corporate scandals in the US, Enron, WorldCom, that sort of thing. We had Sarbanes-Oxley rollout, which mandated control testing and reporting. And then following that, we've had the financial crisis of the late early 2000s. And so what's happened is internal audit has kind of been roped in to disaster control, deal with all these things as they came up, deal with this new thing called Sarbanes-Oxley, deal with what's going on with the financial crisis, deal with the potential for fraud. And so all of those things fall much more on the assurance side rather than the consulting side of the job. So from 2000 to say 2009, even though there was a transition to consulting, really the job was still largely assurance because of what was happening in the world. So far, you've made it really clear that internal auditors wear many different hats. And I want to speak right now to our audience members who are existing practitioners. What would you say to them to help spread awareness about the distinct roles in internal audit? I think the biggest thing I would do at this point in time is encourage them to get involved at the student level, whether that's just trying to speak at a class at a local university, whether that is speaking at, say, a student meeting, maybe there's a student chapter. The reason I say that is because there was some research done where they took college grads and they presented them with job descriptions. The job descriptions were identical, save for one thing. One of them said accountant. One of them said internal auditor. And just the negativity toward the one that said internal auditor was significant, but it was the same job. It was just the idea that the student knew what they were getting with an accounting job. They didn't know what they were getting with an internal audit job. Even though most of those students won't go into internal audit, if you're speaking to business students, they're going to interact with internal audit and potentially be responsible for the internal audit hiring decision at some point in their lives. Before you went into academia, you worked at Deloitte. What made you shift from the corporate world to university life? So this is a complicated answer, but in a nutshell, I've always loved teaching. Even as a college student, I would tutor other students in subjects that I had just gone through just because I was good at it. It's something that falls naturally to me. So that was always something in the back of my mind. I love to teach. And then when I was in my master's program, my department head at the time, Sam Tyrus, I served as a graduate assistant to him on some of his research. And he sat me down one day and he goes, you are good at this. You're going to leave and come back one day and do academia. And I blew him off. I said, no, I'm not. I said, I'm just going to go get my big four job. I'm going to work my way to partner and I'm going to live a happy life. I guess between my love of teaching and that kind of vote of confidence in my ability to do the research side of things, it, it just created an itch and Long story short, many years later, here I am. <laughs> That's quite an endorsement. So when you do encounter a difficult situation or you're trying to make a difficult choice in your career, who do you rely on? It could be a boss or a mentor or an expert in the field. Who do you turn to when you're struggling? 
Okay, well, so step number one was my wife, because she'd probably kill me if I didn't talk about it with her first. But yeah, I looked to her for advice. And actually, I told her about the itch. I said, look, this is what I'm thinking. I don't know. I don't know where this is going, because I really didn't. And then the next thing I did was I actually reached out to Sam Tyrus, my old professor. And I just said, look, you know that bug you put in my ear? I've been thinking about it. So I reached out to Comfort Zones, a family member and somebody who had already shown confidence in my ability to switch careers. I really didn't bring it up internally with my professional job because at that point in my career, I was worried that if I brought it up, but then didn't go through with it, would that negatively affect me? Would I be looked at as, oh, he's got a foot out the door? I didn't want to give the wrong impression. So I kept it outside of the workplace. Where I'm at now in life, that's a little bit different. If I was thinking about leaving, say, my academia job, I would discuss it with my superiors here in the department. But things are a little bit different in academia than they are in profession. And so that comfort level is there. What I like about your story is that you've come full circle But you couldn't have done that without leaving and going to that big four job at Deloitte. So tell me a little bit about how your experience there informs your research and your teaching. Sure. So going to Deloitte actually set up the basis for my understanding of how things worked. Now, granted, I'm one person and I had a long term client. I had a couple of shorter term clients that would pop off and on. So I got to see a little bit of a variety of how different teams approached the job of internal auditing a little bit differently, how different clients reacted to internal audit a little differently. But I also got to see some of the commonalities. And I think that informed where I'm at now. And so when I say the commonalities, I think of things like cost saving, convincing a client that internal audit is valuable rather than just a cost center is a difficult thing to do because the value is hard to measure. Right, operational efficiency as a result of internal audit, that would be a hard thing to measure. Better controls in comparison to an alternative that you don't know exists or would have existed or doesn't exist, right? When I went into the PhD program, I said, I ultimately want to research internal audit. So how little academic research there was in the area. And that right there is just an artifact of the situation that we're in because To get research in internal audit, you need people like me who went through it, have a passion for it, went into the field and then returned. And there just aren't many of us out there. You might have more people teaching it, but they don't necessarily research it. And so that's become my new passion is focusing on this whole idea of growing internal audit education and growing its presence from a research side of things. Now, I will be the first to admit, and and I say this to my wife all the time, What I experienced at Deloitte at this point, I assume is no longer relevant because that was 10 years ago, 11 years ago, something like that. However, my wife does internal audit for KPMG. So I basically go home to internal auditing speak every night. And so I still have that connection. I connect to the profession through her. I connect through my, my service with the Committee of Research and Education Advisors for the Internal Audit Foundation. I stay up to date with, hey, what's happening? What are the big issues? And just what's going on out there in the profession? Your passion for the field is obvious, and I really appreciate you sharing it with us today. So thank you very much, Christopher. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. For a transcript of this conversation and to learn more about the Excel Pro Audit Community, 
visit joinexcelpro. That's J-O-I-N-A-C-C-E-L-P-R-O.com. Thanks again to today's guest. If your colleagues in any sector of the audit field might be interested, please let them know about ExcelPro. As our community grows, it grows more useful for its members. Remember to send your comments and career questions to questions at joinexcelpro.com. You can also call us at 614-642-2235. That's 614-64-ACCEL. Excel Pro Audit is powered by Kaplan. The producers are J. Ray Sparks and Jeff Eisenman. The team is Matt Crossman, Shweta Kulkarni, Caitlin Cole, and Jarrah Goff, Inesh Bose, Arnesh Bose, Neil Ungerleiter, and me, Aliza Solerio. Remember, we excel together. See you next time.